Hey, this is former Blue Devil alignment Matt Skura. You're listening to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. Go Duke, go ACC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, bowl season in the books. Uh, the ACC season in the books. How you feel about that? How you doing? I mean, elephant in the room. We're not recording live, which is <laughs> somewhat of like an occurrence that doesn't happen very often. So just wanted to address that, right? So you're just hearing us for the first time, or seeing us for the first time on YouTube without us hitting the button and going live. Surprise! Happy yeah. Friday, or Saturday, whenever this gets released, Saturday. Hi, everybody. Yeah, whatever. I, I, I don't at know. At this point, are days of the week real? I don't even know. Uh, the whole holiday on, uh, consecutive holidays on Mondays really kind of screwed that up for me. So, days of the week are this, just a construct. This podcast will be released before the CFP National Championship game on Monday. Bang. There, there we go. We go. At there some point, <laughs> there we go. Hey, I'll t- I'll t- I'll call that a win that we uh, we got the bowl recap done before the national title game. And for those asking about like season recaps, we are in the process of recording them, mm-hmm. so those will be released over the next few weeks. Um, that, as yeah. Joey and I record them, and they get added by our lovely producer Scott, um, which yeah, might also the be delayed. Any time in the next like five weeks. So yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's just just FYI for everybody. Important piece that's of right. information. Yeah, yeah. You might have seen that we we did the Pittsburgh recap there with Jim Hammett uh, a little over a week ago now. Uh, that hit your feeds. Um, so that was a good look back at the pit season that went pretty sideways pretty quickly. So go check that out if you have not already. But as mentioned, we're going to try to be hitting as many more of those as we can here over the next few weeks. So keep it tuned here. Uh, first of all, Happy New Year. I probably should have mentioned that. I uh, hope everyone had a great holiday season. We are officially back and, uh, and at it here as uh, we've, we've gotten into what my dad refers to as the dead of winter. Um, so that's a real uh, uplifting way to look at your, uh, your month of January, I assume. But... Yeah. Mike, we got 11 bowl games. You want to uh, run through these and recap them? Yeah, uh, real quick, the dead of winter comment. I mean, I've texted my dad sometimes, and he'll just comment and text me back or whatever. He'll be like, yep, still vertical. Which, again, you know, you talked about dead of winter being a real pessimistic way to look at life. Bill saying uh, still vertical is mm-hmm. something. So whatever yeah. man one foot in front of the other we keep it moving that's right yeah. that's right that's all you can do at this point so on that note uh south florida 45 syracuse nothing uh <laughs> speaking of teams that might not be vertical anymore no i'm just kidding uh, uh yeah <laughs> nope you died oh, bang 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 you're oh, dead no. yeah this oh. was rough uh we'll just go through these in chronological order starting with the ones that were the longest ago and we'll just see how we can piece this together um this is the Boca Raton Bowl, South Florida 45, Syracuse nothing in a game that really – it's. we'll get to this in a little bit, Mike. I, I would say this. It's a little bit 
I, I wouldn't really say that like I'm going to be really disappointed in a whole lot of anybody and they're showing in uh, in bowl season, but this was a little bit of a uh, complete and total no show from Syracuse in this game. Um, so, and again, I, I don't mean to pile on to Syracuse. Uh, Garrett Trader didn't play in this game. We found out beforehand, I believe, that he, he had surgery that he needed to get. Um, clearly had not been healthy for most of the season. Um, but even still, it kind of felt like the the weird one-dimensional kind of draw it up in the sand offense that Syracuse had run for the final couple games of the year. That really didn't work nearly as well here. And it was it's not like South Florida's defense is anything really all that special. So a little bit disappointed, but... It's the Boca Raton Bowl on the 21st. So, like, yeah, who really cares, honestly? <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people are Christmas shopping. If you're a Syracuse fan, you probably wish you were Christmas shopping. Uh, this was this wasn't good. No, they're happy to be in Boca Raton if they're a Syracuse fan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, you're speaking of dead of winter, you know, at least you're in the south. Uh, th- this was horrible uh, for Syracuse. They were one of 17 on third down. They had 159 yards of total offense. Dan Valari, uh, quarterback, turned tight end, turned quarterback again, threw two interceptions, and uh, I think barely completed half his passes. Nope, didn't even complete half his passes, finished four for 11. This is really mm-hmm. bad. Uh, total no-show. South Florida really made sure that this game was over pretty quickly. Um, this is a situation where it was 31 nothing at halftime. Two so, fumble returns for touchdowns for South Florida in the first half. So, I mean, some unlucky stuff happens, right, too, that contributes mm-hmm. to it being 45 nothing. But Syracuse had absolutely nothing in the tag offensively. We knew South Florida would come into this game motivated. Um, first season of their goal, Ash, real solid, right? They win seven games, win their bowl game. We thought South Florida might be the more motivated team. Obviously, Syracuse's coaching staff gone. Uh you know, it's an interim staff situation, so those tend to make for lopsided bowl results if the team isn't really locked in. And I think it's safe mm-hmm. to say they weren't necessarily ready to play here uh, from a mental standpoint. Mm-hmm. South Florida was. They were the more motivated team. We'll talk about this a couple different times tonight. We're like the more motivated team, obviously, just like went out and beat that ass. This was the first of several of those occasions. Yep. Yeah, as we told you in the preview, I mean, this this happens in bowl season, is when you have one team that's more motivated than the other, that can happen. I mean, Syracuse yeah. had the ball several times in the second half, came up with a grand total of, I believe, two first downs. Um, and when, when you're coming out of halftime with a zero on the scoreboard and uh, not really able to piece together drives, that's, yeah, not, not, not the best. Not the best. So, again, it's fine. It's whatever. Interim staff, as you mentioned, um, you know, the, the new staff being put together, everything. The vibes are good there from a staff standpoint, from a uh, recruiting and transfer portal standpoint. It's it's looking good, looking improved, I think, at Syracuse so far. Uh, long way to go. And uh, games still have to be played on the field in the fall. But, again, things have gone about as well as you could have asked them to, um, basically, with, with the new staff here so far. So, there's that. Focus on that. Definitely focus on that. Don't focus on the fact that if Syracuse was only doing rushing plays, they'd only be 20 yards ahead of where you and I are sitting right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> try not to try not to focus on stuff like that, which will just make you crazy. The, the fact that they only had one 
third down conversion the entire game. The fact that uh, they really had trouble completing a forward pass for not just in the bowl game, but for like the last five weeks of the year. Try not to focus mm-hmm. on that stuff. Focus on the fact that like Fran Brown got hired. Uh, it's clear he's going to recruit his ass off. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see about the player development piece, but early returns as far as the recruiting are concerned are really, really promising if you're a Syracuse football fan, which you don't really get to talk about recruiting all that often. Maybe you'll get to talk about it a little bit with Fran Brown. So, yeah, yeah, this is uh, focus on that stuff. Yeah. Yep. South Florida 45, Syracuse nothing in the Boca Raton Bowl. Uh, moving on to yeah. Friday the 22nd. What's that? Before we move on. Uh, does anyone know if uh, who won the toss in the last game? Oh. Because the coin didn't, and the coin picked Syracuse, and they the coin died. <laughs> yeah, the coin did. Uh, you know, oh. the coin did not have a uh, a great bowl season from a pick yeah. standpoint. Yeah, who could have thought? The coin, the coins had better holiday seasons. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, coin had. Syracuse, we both had South Florida, and we were correct. Uh, speaking of games that we were correct, and the uh, the coin was not, Georgia Tech 30, UCF 17 in the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, this was on Friday the 22nd. Uh, the coin had UCF, we had Tech, you had the over as well, Mike, and, and our picks hit. The coins did not. Um, I was dang. impressed... That's right. I, I was impressed with Georgia Tech from this in this game, mostly from the standpoint that they they go down fourteen to nothing really quickly. Um, I mean, it's like less than ten minutes in the game; they're down by two scores. And for a team that hasn't been to a bowl game in a while, and really in recent history of bowl games, had has had a lot of pretty rough showings. I felt like they had every opportunity to kind of pack it in, or to you know, uh, it's been a good season. Forget it. We'll move on. Uh, but to their credit. Georgia Tech goes on a 30-3 to run to end the game after being down 14 to nothing uh, to really kind of pull away and, and win this one. I was impressed with the effort. Um, Georgia Tech really established it on the ground, uh, 284 yards and two scores on the ground. Uh, Jamal Haynes leads the way with 128. Uh, Haynes King and Dante Smith also added uh, about 150-plus yards combined uh, between the two of them. So good showing there. UCF, I mean, they were able to move the ball, but uh, Georgia Tech's defense made some adjustments after the first quarter and was able to start getting some stops. And uh, just I, impressive impressive showing here from Georgia Tech. Uh, was was happy that they were able to get the win, and, and especially in the fashion that they were able to. I, I was happy with this. Seven and six, like in a true year one for Brent Key. Yep. Like, not the interim. <laughs> like, this is year one. Yeah. And seven and six, you win your bowl game. Hard to complain about that season. Uh doesn't really matter how you got to that point uh you know you you win your bowl game at the end of the year it's a in a true year one situation you gotta be gotta be happy with that uh you were at zoo lights with your kids and was. you sent you sent scott and i a text message uh this was sometime in the middle of the second quarter you said yes because scott and i were texting back and forth in the group chat about this game you said, yeah, zoo lights were great. Uh, love being a dad, yada, yada, yada. Uh, now, <laughs> how's Georgia Tech doing? And what I tried to tell you is that when you get home, just fast forward through the first quarter. Because by the time that you had been texting us, uh, Georgia Tech was driving in position, I think, right before halftime to tie the game. Mm-hmm. And they were looking a hell of a lot better. They started getting stops defensively. They had all the momentum. 
my exact words to you were, you know, along the lines of like, don't watch the first quarter. It's only going to piss you off. And that's kind of my takeaway from this game. Like Georgia Tech's defense looked bad early. Georgia Tech's offense did not look very good early either. But the offense started to figure some things out on the ground. Um, UCF was really having trouble stopping it. Once Georgia Tech realized that, they just kind of went back to the well running the football, especially in the second mm-hmm. half, and it worked out fantastic for them. And then defensively is like where the real adjustments were made. They looked really, really bad in the first quarter. We talked about you know, the issues that Georgia Tech's had defensively this year, and in some games it's like apparent really early, and you really wonder if they're going to figure it out over four quarters. And when UCF went up 14 nothing early, I was like, oh, God, like – is this going to be one of those Georgia Tech defensive performances where all of a sudden UCF runs up like 40 points and we're like, what the hell just happened? But mm-hmm. give Georgia Tech a lot of credit defensively for figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly made some adjustments, started stopping the run, which they weren't doing in the first quarter. Georgia uh, UCF had a lot of trouble moving the ball here in the second half. Uh, this was really, you look at their offensive output in terms of total yards, most of the damage was done in the first quarter and, like, the first possession or two of the second, a situation Mm -hmm. where, like, UCF really didn't move the ball well the rest of the game. This was, like, a three or four possession issue for Georgia Tech, and they just figured it out, and that was it. They shut the door, ball game. And Georgia Tech's offense did just enough and figured it out, and, yeah, just really impressed with how they looked. First four possessions for UCF. Touchdown, touchdown, fumble, field goal. After that... Punt, miss field goal, turnover on downs, punt, punt, turnover on downs, interception. Yeah, that was it. And they were so, and they yeah. were driving. You mentioned on the first four possession thing, like they on that one fumble in particular on the third possession, like they were at midfield. Like they were driving again. I think they were at like the mm-hmm. forty they were, they were the forty five, yeah. Forty five. Second seven from the forty five, right? Their own forty five. They were basically at midfield, right? They were in the middle mm-hmm. of another nice drive. So it's one of those situations where like you got the fumble. Um, you give up a field goal, but then UCF doesn't score the rest of the game. So mm-hmm. just shout out to the Georgia Tech defense, man. Really, really impressive with how they adjusted and how they performed. Yep, agreed. Georgia Tech finishes 7-6, and six, as you mentioned. And, Mike, I, I tweeted out after the game, unqualified success of a first year for Brent Key. I know it, it had some couple of pretty high peaks. It had a couple of pretty low valleys. But I think, you know, getting to a bowl game and beating a power five team in a bowl game, considering where this program has been the last several years. Uh, I, I have no questions about whether this was a successful year one for Brent key. Now expectations start to go up a little bit after that, you know, like if, if it's just another seven and six year next year, maybe that's different, but for now, absolute success. Um, and I, I'm guessing you saw the post game press conference too, where, uh, he, he'd gotten the cooler dumped on him and, uh, the, uh, I forget who the, the on-field interviewer was, but said, you know, Coach, you smell like Gatorade. And he said, it's Powerade. We're Coca-Cola school. Very and, funny. Uh, that, that got a lot of run. So, yeah. That was so. fun. He's popular. That's right. That's right. Georgia Tech 30, UCF 17 in the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, we'll keep moving. The 76 Birmingham Bowl, Duke 17, Troy 10. Um, Not 76 of, points. Yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah, less than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of performances that, you know, honestly kind of impressive, Duke with a bit of a skeleton crew, uh, both on the field and on the sidelines, uh, goes in and gets a win over a a pretty good, well-coached Troy team. 
Uh, I was impressed here with Duke. Really good effort, especially from their defense. Uh, not that Troy has like a really electric offense, but again, they are they are well coached, and to my knowledge, they were playing you know more or less at full strength. And Duke able to hold them down to ten points the entire game and, and get a win here. Uh, I was impressed with Duke and that, that interim staff. Yeah, uh, one of those weird bowl results where like Troy had an eleven win season. Uh, you know, Troy's head coach was looking around elsewhere and you had all that stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, John Summerall obviously left Troy and Troy went ahead and hired Jared Parker from Notre Dame, the offense coordinator that was after this bowl game. But, you know, Summerall left and you're kind of dealing with your own interim coaching staff. You have a lot of motivated players that want to win a bowl game against a power five team. Troy wins 11 games, and Duke just decided defensively that they were just not going to let Troy score a lot of points. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that, uh, I mean, Troy moved the ball well through the air in this game. Uh, they really struggled to get anything going consistently on the ground. I thought to Duke's credit, like, the offense, for not having the coaching staff, the offense looked kind of like it did all year, right? Like, Grayson Loftus comes out. You know, pretty high efficiency from a passing standpoint. Uh, did have the one interception, but threw for 183 yards. Duke ran the ball really well in this game. That was also something mm -hmm. that's kind of been a hallmark for them this year is play good defense, run the ball well. Two things they've done pretty consistently all year long, even in some of these losses they've had. Uh, but to go out and win this game against an 11-win Troy team uh, in an interim coaching staff situation, two interim coaching staffs, right? Uh, to go out and get the win and kind of be the more motivated team against an 11-win Sunbelt team. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll take that every time. So, mm -hmm. a pretty, pretty good showing. Duke, after all the trials and tribulations they had through October and November with no Riley Leonard and the injuries they had, still figure out a way to finish 8-5 and five and get yep. your second consecutive 8-win season. And now Manny Diaz has something to build off of, right? Like, a lot of these mm -hmm. guys, I'm sure, are looking around in the portal. I know Duke's had some defections in the transfer portal. But they are going to be returning, like, the makings of a pretty good team. So Manny Diaz isn't necessarily going to be starting from square one. I think he's going to have something to work with here. And a lot of the credit needs to go to Mike Elko for what he built in the short time that he was at Duke. So... Mm -hmm. uh, Duke's going to be a really interesting team to watch next year in the ACC, but I think coming off of two really successful years, winning the Birmingham Bowl, going 8-5, and five, like they're going to be a team full of intrigue with Manny Diaz, who's getting kind of his second bite at the apple with a Power 5 head coaching job. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Duke finishes 8-5. and five. Um, Again, six, considering the things that they went through, I know that that, you know, if you, if you consider they started, what was it, 5-0 and oh or something? I mean... It doesn't feel great considering that, but considering the context there of, you know, Riley Leonard going down midseason and just kind of never was himself again if he even should have been on the field at all. That's a, kind of a different discussion. But yep. the fact that they, they were able to still kind of circle the wagons and get to that eight-win mark now with a with a bull win over a – again, I don't want to under underplay, you know, the fact that this this Troy team is, is good. They're solid, and that is – that was a formidable opponent. This is one of the ones that you and I both missed. We, we picked Troy to win this game, and uh, there, there's a reason that we picked them. And and they're you know they're they're formidable, formidable, yeah, formidable. Um, so 
good win for Duke to uh, to polish off the season and transition into the Manny Diaz era. We're nothing if not wordsmiths. That's right. That's right. Wordsmiths at uh, what is it? Eleven twenty on the East Coast. There you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, to the 27th, uh, we will go to the Military Bowl, presented by GoBowling.com, where your yeah, Virginia Tech buddy. Hokies. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. 41, Tulane 20. Um, Another example, this one and and Georgia Tech as well, kind of early in a coach's tenure where it feels like this is kind of a – some something of a culmination slash kind of jumping off point towards next year. Um, a nice, a nice cherry on top. You know, sen- sends you into the off season with some good, good vibes and such. Uh, really good, comfortable, dominant win here for the Hokies. Scott and I were there. We uh, also wet win, wet win, very wet. Have you dried win. out yet? Uh, <laughs> it was yeah, a great time. It was a fantastic time. Uh, I was extremely intoxicated. So, <laughs> mission accomplished, right? It is a military bowl after all. Mission accomplished. All I'm thinking celebrate about the troops, is, uh, Mike. Well, all I'm thinking about is that uh, that meme with like it's not a meme; it's the real thing that actually happened. But it's George Bush on the aircraft carrier with mission accomplished behind him. That's all I'm thinking about. Yeah. You know, thumbs up. <laughs> That's uh, Scott and I. Uh, we won the tailgate. Really good time. Oh, I, uh, oh, we won the tailgate. We right. won the tailgate. That was. <laughs> Bourbon selections not seen at bars at that tailgate. That was unreal. Uh, shout oh. out to all of our Virginia Tech uh, fans and friends and my co-hosts of the Hokey Hangover podcast were with us in the stands. And Scott's dad went to the game with us. And Fred, we, shout uh, out Fred. Shout out Fred. Yeah, we had a great, great time. So it looked all like that a good crew s- of uh, our Virginia Tech internet friends were there. So oh yeah, yeah. Your uh, Ricky, your buddy Andrew. Andrew. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. It was it was a squad, Joey. It was a squad. Uh shout out to Ricky. <laughs> shout out yeah, shout out Ricky. Uh yeah, no, great great game, a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. Uh Tulane started Dominant out this second game. half for the Hokies. Yeah. Dominant second half. Like Tulane started out this game. Obviously, this is a situation where we talk about eleven win Troy in the Birmingham Bowl. Like interim coaching situation, but their players, a lot of them, were interested in playing in that bowl game. This was the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Fritz and his staff leave Tulane, go to Houston, interim coaching staff situation. Uh, Michael Pratt, their star quarterback, did not play here. Uh, multiple guys out. Uh, Tulane's starting quarterback in this game was Justin Ibieta. He was the second stringer to Pratt. Ibieta, like, screwed up his leg pretty bad like he was in an air cast and carted off the field like in the Mm. first half so Tulane was down to their third string quarterback here in a monsoon which isn't like fantastic Uh, but yeah I mean Virginia Tech Kyron Drones fumbles early Tulane gets on the board uh, with a fumble recovery they're running for a touchdown so that wasn't great outside of that it was 
pretty easy sledding. Virginia Tech defense, I thought, played really well here offensively. A lot of it having to do with the weather, but I think Virginia Tech just figured out pretty quickly, like, the team that's more motivated in a bowl game featuring a motivated and a non-motivated team usually pulls away, and it's even expedited more quickly when the weather is ass. And that's what we saw here. The weather was ass. Tulane didn't want to be there anyway. The guys who did want to play, they were second and third stringers for a reason. And uh, Virginia Tech played all their ones. <laughs> and that, that kind of showed. Like, this game is played in September. Tulane is probably favored. Uh, not probably. They would be favored. I, I was going to say, not probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was a game that was totally non-competitive because Tulane just didn't suit anybody up and they didn't have the coaching staff they had all year that led them to 11 wins so yeah yeah but uh, all that to say Virginia Tech ran the ball really well here Tulane couldn't really stop it Kyron Jerones ran for a buck 76 and Bashal Tootin uh he added what was that uh 136 yards in the zone and two scores so really impressive mm-hmm. Virginia Tech brings back like their entire their entire starting offense and most of their starting defense uh they'll they got a good team coming back next year and this is one of those games where like much like with georgia techs i think virginia tech and georgia tech are in two very similar situations like you try not to put too much stock in the bowl game but you'd rather have it than not right so i think to finish the season seven and six and especially where brent pry was in year one and even where he was coming out of the month of september like this was a uh end up being a pretty successful year for the Hokies. Yep, absolutely. Completely agreed. And a team that I, I think really the switch to Kyron Drones is, was kind of an inflection point for this team this season. And we can get more into that in a, a team recap episode. But, um, again, I feel like this is a successful year, year two for Brent Pry and, and what he was building here. Um, I, will, I will say with this game in particular, the I feel like we got into the second half – and the scoreboard said that the game was a lot closer than it really felt. Um, to, like, the Hokies scored a touchdown with like eight seconds left until halftime to make it seventeen to ten. But it really didn't. It really felt like Tulane was just hanging on. Uh, like, really, just they, the Hokies were the better team in the first half. Tulane got a scoop six, and then opening the second half, the Hokies fumble again, and Tulane gets a seventeen-yard touchdown drive. So the two touchdowns they score in the game was a defensive touchdown and a 17-yard touchdown drive, basically. Red zone, um, red zone, short field, yep. Yeah, cheap, like cheap points there were really what kind of kept Tulane in the game. You know, you take those away, and this is even even more of a blowout than it ends up looking like on the scoreboard at the end of the game. So uh, just, again, kind of emphasizing the uh, the level of dominance here, and, and there's reasons why, right? Like, again, the Hokies pumped up to be here, culmination kind of game. Uh, really good showing from them. Tulane, a uh, pretty rough consolation prize. Missing a lot of folks. You get it. So, yeah. Virginia Tech, 41, Tulane, 20. That Scott led into Mike the. Zero. Yeah, Scott and Mike, zero. Yeah, zero. Negative, negative one on uh, Thursday following the game. <laughs> you could be negative. Greater than game. zero bourbons. It sounds like. Yeah. Uh, I'll send you this picture, Joey. It was insane. Yeah, oh the boy. bourbon the bourbon table. Oh, it, the, just the table. Well, I mean, you, you, maybe you'll get a picture of Scott and I. Well, you won't because Scott and I took no pictures because we were too drunk. 
when I, I was yelled at. You did FaceTime me on the way home. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. We did on the highway. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was very concerned hearing about how hard y'all tailgated and then realizing that Scott was driving home after the game. I was like, uh. I was fine by then. Yeah, yeah by then okay. it was okay. We had a long time to uh, sober up because they ran out of beer in the stadium. So. Oh, another drink the stadium dry situation? It was. Yeah, it was. A bunch of Southwest Virginians in Annapolis. That's what happens. <laughs> That'll do it. Duke's Mayo Bowl, West Virginia 30, UNC 10 in a battle of backup quarterbacks. I I mean, I, I don't really put a whole lot of anything. This is, again, like pretty decent mismatch in terms of motivations. I think West Virginia was more motivated here. I will say, you know, saw some good things from Connor Harrell at times who played for North Carolina. Um, I, I thought he was pretty relatively electric on the ground um, as things go. But, you know, clearly I, I think you texted me. Again, y'all were kind of on your way home and asked how this game was going, and I said it looks like a battle of backup quarterbacks, which it was. Uh, West Virginia up 17-10 to 10 at halftime and then completely shut out North Carolina in the second half. Um, really didn't feel all that competitive after halftime. North Carolina somewhat packed it in, it felt like. Um, so, I don't know. This is fine. A bit of a disappointing end for North Carolina again. Um, this is the second straight year, I think, that you would say that they've really kind of stumbled down the stretch. They lose four of their final six games after starting out 6-0. and I mean, we had some news earlier, I think, was it today or yesterday, that Mac Brown fired uh, Gene Chizik. And oh, is Joey, Joey, not, not firing. The... It, it, was, it was okay, man. It was a mutual parting of ways, right? Back to totally the chicken fine. shop, Gene. That, that, that's um, right, yeah. There's uh, what I text you guys is three years with his grandkids he'll never have back. Which is <laughs> that? That's taking a page out of your dad's book with the dead of winter thing. Um, yeah, I, I I wonder a little bit if Chizik really only wanted this job because it was local. Like he was already in Charlotte and uh, doesn't even have to like. Well, well, you just like get an apartment or something in Chapel Hill and you know, yeah, drive over a few there hours, during the week or whatever. Like few couple hours across the state or whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, man, uh, Carolina's fans did not. I mean, they don't show up to home games, so I guess we should have expected they wouldn't show up to this. But, like, my God, man. Th- in this Charlotte, was, like, way. in Charlotte. This was, like, this is, like, Miami levels of, like, disdain from a fan base. Like, yeah, it's it, North Carolina's got, like, the loudest group of fans that, like, don't exist. Like, you know, they're all bots. <laughs> it's, it's very similar. <laughs> very similar to what Miami does for, like, I mean, Cam is a diehard Miami fan. But, like, there are a million of, like, diehard like loud Miami fans on the internet that like aren't as smart or like well-informed as Cam or realistic about the program like Cam is mm-hmm. there are a bunch of them who are like really loud and bombastic and think that Miami is going to win 11 every year and you and I literally look at these and we're like how like do these people exist and then you watch the <laughs> games at home on Saturdays you're like no these people do not exist it's the same thing for North Carolina sure don't show on, up yeah yeah it's the same thing for North Carolina just on like a little bit smaller scale right like Basically, like, the whole allure of them is the fact that they had uh, the greatest basketball player of all time, or, you know, whatever you think of LeBron, whatever, I don't care. Michael Jordan, one of the greatest two players in the history of basketball. Different sport, by the way, playing at Carolina, and you're just going to ride his coattails. The guy who played a different sport for, like, 40 years after he attended school there and, like, hope he powers. on your jersey. 
for football. Wear him, wear him on your jersey, and hope like NIL collectives contribute the way they need to. Because Michael Jordan played at your school forty years ago. Like, mm-hmm. there, no reason they lost. Th- th- there's got to be a reason why they lost thirty to ten to a West Virginia team that was picked last in the Big Twelve. When Neil Brown, we didn't even think he'd have a job going into October. Uh, there had to be a reason for that, right? Oh, we found it. Like. Mac Brown, Alex Kirshner from Split Zone Duo said it. He was like, this is historic bag fumbling by Mac Brown to bring in Gene Chizik, have the defense not improve at all, and then waste one good year of Sam Howell and two good years of Drake May, who was arguably better than Sam Howell. And you mm-hmm. wasted you wasted three really good years of quarterback play with terrible defenses. Like, historic yeah. bag fumbling. Are they ever going to get quarterbacks like this at Carolina again? Like, are they going to continue doing this? Because, like... The recruiting is not doing what it once was, and it's because the results are starting to catch up and players are like, wait a minute, I'm going to go there and win like seven games a year. Mike, if, if you had to point to one thing that has been a real difference with Texas like this year and maybe a little bit last year versus all, you know, all the recent memory previous years of Texas, is there one thing you would point to? The fact that their defense is pretty good. Not only good, they are pretty physical. Like really good. Really, they're they're good. They're good in the trenches. They're they're pretty mean. They're pretty physical. You remember the whole Bo Davis thing on the bus mm-hmm. with Texas uh, of you know getting after trying to make those guys kind of nasty in the trenches. Mike, do you remember when that like Texas kind of soft thing might have started, or who might have been the head coach when that all kind of started? None other than Mr. Mac Brown. Could be a pattern here. I'm just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It People is really it is like soft, Mac, and you understand why. <laughs> it, is a, it is a soft football team, though. Yeah. It's, it's the biggest thing I would point to when I see, you know, the, the level of recruits that are brought in on that defense, and then you watch them get pushed around in the trenches especially, and it's like, that's, that's a culture problem. That's not a talent mm-hmm. problem. That's a, a culture problem of – you know, you're not demanding physicality out of your players, and all of a sudden you can't stop the run. And there you go. You'd rather so. have a bunch of hard-nosed three stars than a bunch of four stars who don't really care to be there. They just want the NIL bag. Exactly. Which, you know, makes you wonder if that's why they're going to Carolina in the first place, just to kind of get that bag. Yeah. I, I will say, I, I we're not drawing these conclusions off of this game in particular, and no, nothing that I'm saying is something that I just started thinking watching this game. Um, th- no. These are I, no bigger, more I, macro problems with, with Joey, North Carolina. Joey, I I said that Mac Brown should they should consider firing Mac Brown after the NC State game, and mm-hmm. I said at the time this isn't just because of the NC State result. I yeah. said this is like a a take I've had for about a year and a half that like this is. Anytime they have any sort of expectations, they kind of roll over. They did it last year. They did it going into the 21 year right after COVID. Like, mm-hmm. this is what they do. This is what they do. Yeah. They they have expectations. They roll over. They're supposed to be really good. They have a few good games where they score, like, 50 points, and they play a team that actually wants to, like, ground them into submission, and they have no interest in playing that game, and they lose. So anytime they play yeah. a physical team, they lose. And then we get to the end of the year, and they win like seven or eight games because there are several teams in the ACC who want to play in a physical way. And Carolina's just not interested in doing that under Mac Brown. It's just not something they want to do, which is fine. Yep. You know, if you want to consider winning, se- you know, you want to continue to win seven games a year, 
be my guest. That's what you're going to get out of Mac Brown at this stage of his career with the teams that he's building. You're going to recruit well or decently well. Like if you look at the last recruiting class, not as good as the ones he's had in the past, but like still an okay recruiting class. He's going to recruit well for North Carolina as a school, and they're going to going to get pushed around by teams who actually want to be there and want to play that way. That's yep. just the way it's going to be until he retires. So yeah, we're we're fading the Tar Heels. I'm fading the Tar Heels. We're fading them. Yeah, and this isn't a Virginia Tech. I, I, we're going to get it in the comments. Oh, Mike's a Virginia Tech fan. They hate North Carolina. I've been talking about this for three years. Like this is who they are. This is exactly yeah. who they are. I'm not surprised at all by this result. Yep. Yep. Not surprising. We will. Uh, we'll see. I don't think North Carolina has hired the new defensive coordinator just yet. Have they? No. Not. Not. Not as of today. Who was it that hired Jacksonville State's defensive coordinator? Not Carolina. I saw that break. Not. Okay. Earlier. It might have been somebody else that like. It was like within 24 hours they hired him. So I, I didn't know if that Oklahoma. was North Carolina Oklahoma. or not. Oklahoma. Oh, it was Oklahoma. Sorry. Okay. All right. Replacing gotcha. Ted Roof. There you go. Yeah. That's that's a that's a discussion for a different episode. But jump anyways. Off. Um, <laughs> Joey was going to jump off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. West Virginia 30, North Carolina 10. Neil Brown gets a uh, mayo bath at the end of the game. If yeah. That's, uh, if that's your speed. Not, not mine, but I can understand. In the DirecTV Holiday Bowl from Petco Park in San Diego, uh, USC 42, the number 15 Jesus Louisville Cardinals 28. Um, again, I honestly watching this as a Louisville fan, I was I was frustrated, but it's so. First of all, what I what the the biggest takeaway that I had from this game, number one, this broadcast was insufferable. From the Horrible. Louisville standpoint. Horrible. Yeah. Absolutely insufferable. It was USC this, USC that, Lincoln Riley this, Caleb Williams that, Miller Moss this. Fox crew, They had buddy. Matt Leinart on the sidelines. It Fox was like, crew. when's the last time that you watched a game that Gus Johnson was calling that he didn't sound like converting a third and four was like somebody had just won the national title, right? Mm -hmm. Like... Gus Johnson is stoked about everything. Yeah. Louisville scored four touchdowns in this game. I think three of them Gus seemed like annoyed by or bored by. Like, yep. It, 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 this was the most shamelessly Homer broadcast I think I have ever seen that at least kind of uh, moonlighted as something that was kind of neutral. This was a four-hour USC infomercial, and that's not the word that I put in our group text either. There's a different one that I'm just not going to bring up on this family-friendly show. Um, but that was it was it was so obnoxious to watch. Um, number one. Number two, what I'll say, a couple things here. I mean, I felt like there were plays for Louisville to make that they didn't. Um, there were there were a number of passes that got defended that could have been picks that that weren't. Uh, that kind of thing that happened. I thought that, you know, USC caught a couple breaks, a couple short field touchdowns um, that, that happened in this game. I, I didn't – I don't mind Louisville losing this game. Again, I don't I don't take a lot on the field. I thought this was like USC's probably one of their best defensive performances of the year. Uh, we've, we've heard all about how terrible their defense was and how they didn't know where to be and all this stuff. And next thing you know, it's like Louisville's receivers were just completely covered up like the whole night and – 
they really struggled to get much going. They had a couple of really poorly timed fumbles uh, in this game, did Louisville. So it's fine. It's a bowl game, whatever. I don't care that much. And this really felt like a USC team that played a lot closer to its ceiling than uh, maybe what we've seen from them down the stretch. And um, I know Miller Moss got a lot of a lot of hype coming out of this game. I I think the stat sheet looks really good, and he made a few good throws. But I think maybe getting a little bit more credit than he should be for – I think he got away with some throws that he maybe shouldn't have and, and maybe won't if he uh, starts for a full season. So, I don't know. It's fine. Uh, Louisville finishes 10-4, and four, and again – Kind of the, the year comes to comes down to a whimper. You know, they were 10-1, and one, they lose their final three. That kind of sucks if you're Louisville. But still, I, I think a pretty successful year one for Jeff Brom, all things considered. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, my takeaway from this year is Louisville, uh, I think the fact that they won 10 games. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from Louisville, but I think the fact that they won 10 games is probably more of a product of the schedule that they played rather than the fact that they were like a 10-win team similar to some other 10-win teams that we've even talked about on this podcast tonight with right. like Tulane and Troy and how they looked all year relative to how Louisville looked all year. Um, and I get it. They're in different conferences. They're a group of five schools. I get that. But like I look at other 10-win teams, right? I look at like LSU finished the year with 10 wins. Like am I taking LSU on a neutral field? against Louisville, yeah, I am, right? Am I taking, like, an mm -hmm. Ole Miss team that won 10-plus on neutral field? Yeah, I am, right? So, like, Louisville started playing some tougher competition towards the end of the year, <clears throat> and they started losing those games. That's tough, right? Tough break. Mm -hmm. In totality, though, the takeaway needs to be that Jeff Brom comes in year one, and he wins 10. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters, right? Like, yeah. your schedule is what it is. You play who you play. You win 10 yeah. games in year one, it's a big deal. Jack Plummer was your quarterback, buddy. He is just a guy. He is a Jack. Man. It's Jack Plummer, man. Like, we've made that joke all year. It's Jack Plummer. And, like... And that that went around Twitter a little bit on this game was, like... Like, have we seen Jack Plummer throw at full strength? Like, there's so many of these lollipop throws, and he struggles to push the ball down the field. And, and I think it was... Was it Mark Ennis or someone who said basically like it's almost like he's been kind of injured for like most of the year, basically. And something I kind of didn't realize, but it would make more sense that way if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, they weren't or he's just got a noodle arm or he's just got a noodle arm. Could mean that. I mean, he's like a he is like Chris Winky status in terms of like being there till he's 30. Um, also, is, is Louisville run, running this back with like the. The, the the not so great transfer quarterback they're doing this again right they are doing bringing this in again. Tyler Shuck they are doing this again doing this again yep they're doing this again okay a little I'm I'm curious to see if that just is an immediate starter situation with Tyler Shuck uh huh makes if, you wonder if it is might not be a good good sign for uh, Pierce Clarkson development I yeah I mean you recruit him and have him be highly touted and to go after him like that, like the way they did, they went all in to get him and for him not to start and Tyler Shuck to be real mid and he ends up being the starter. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. So that's the story to monitor with Louisville in the off season. Jack Plummer also, I think broke his finger in this game and then like went right back in and I think that was impacting his passing as well. And, and Jack again, plus my question becomes, 
the guy who's already not not throwing it very well over the last month plus of the season now has a broken finger and is going to be throwing it worse. And that's still a better option than whatever else you have on the sideline suited up. Like I, not a good sign if you're asking me. I don't know. <laughs> In fact, a terrible sign. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, good year for Louisville. Bad ending result. I thought Miller Moss is pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with your overall take. Like, I think uh, he got away with some stuff. Thought he was pretty solid. Like, you go into the game thinking that Caleb, you know, obviously Caleb Williams isn't playing. He's declaring for the draft. Like, USC's got guys opting out. Now Kai Nelson's transferring. Like, okay, Miller Moss, your turn. And, uh, yeah, you know, throw six touchdowns in a bowl game. That'll work. That'll play. So, yeah. I did hear some some thoughts after the game here that it's like maybe part of the reason Malachi, Na- uh, Malachi Nelson was transferring was because that staff, after watching him in practice, wasn't quite as high on him as uh, maybe the national media and, and others outside the building were. And maybe mm-hmm. Miller Moss was kind of the plan for next year all along. Right, which, so. based off of a one-game sample size, tracks. Looks <laughs> like looks like a good plan so far. Looks looks good so far. I mean, that narrative Six touchdowns has been, in this game. I was going to say, narrative is supported by one game of data. He threw six touchdowns and one interception in this game. So, Yep, yep. Damn good if so. he does that for 12 games. That's right, that's right. USC 42, Louisville 28. Uh, let's move on. we got five more games, but before we get to those, let's remind the people that this show brought to you by Section103.com, the Internet's premier place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. They've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, something for men, women, children, toddlers, babies, something for the whole family. Uh, we've got stuff now for both my, uh, my four-year-old son as well as my one-year-old daughter. Uh, so we've got a picture of that in front of our Christmas tree. I need to be posting that here on social media in the next couple of days. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. But uh, very high quality things. All the official word marks, the official tech gold, again, sweatshirts, hoodies, all the different things to keep you warm this time of year. Go check that out. Go get everything from section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got jerseys, Haynes King, Zach Pyron, Dante Smith. Uh, I think Dante Smith's especially were – uh, they were running a special deal here, so go check that out. Go find that as quick as you can while supplies last. Uh, supporting NIL efforts. They've got shirts for Miles Kelly and even Joe Hamilton uh, celebrating his 1999 Heisman runner-up campaign. Uh, all sorts of great things for Georgia Tech fans in your life. Go get them at section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Shout out to Steven and the gang. Appreciate their support this season and beyond. Uh, really appreciate their partnership. Shout out, Steven. Uh, we are also sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Promo code GOACC at checkout, 15% off your first order. A lot of you have bought stuff this football season from Homefield. We really appreciate it. Uh, that partnership with them has been awesome. Hope it continues. Uh, keep on buying stuff from Homefield. Use that promo code while you do it. Real comfortable clothing. I got a bunch of Homefield stuff for Christmas, including a sweatshirt. That I wore to the bowl game, and it was extremely comfortable. Looking forward to wearing that again once I wash it. Uh, yeah, good stuff from Homefield. Yep. Go there. To Thursday, the 28th, we start with the – no, we don't start with the Pop-Tarts Bowl. We start with the Fenway Bowl. That was Wasabi. in the morning. 
Boston College, 23, the number 24 SMU Mustangs, 14. Boston College finishes the year with a conference win, uh, big win here. This was a game, I mean, this was this was definitely a game, Mike. Uh, it was a game that happened, yep. It was cold, it was wet, it was not pretty. Uh, Boston College rips off two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, uh, both on runs by Thomas Castellanos to uh, pull ahead and then ultimately seal the win. Uh, so that was a, a good showing from Boston College. Again, I think maybe a little extra fired up in front of their own fans, um, but really did a nice job shutting down a, a pretty potent SMU offense for a lot of this game. So credit to the Boston College defense here. Uh, really good win for Jeff Halfley. I mean, I guess, I guess it keeps the uh, keeps the vibes positive for him in the offseason. He needs needs the positive vibes right now at this point in his tenure. Uh, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to say I was impressed by Boston College. Well, well, hey. well. Look what the Look cat dragged you, in. Look at you, Mike. Yep. Look what the cat dragged in. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I... I Look, I mean, you you just about covered it. Like, SMU could not stop Boston College's rushing attack in particular. Uh, Kai Robichaux and Thomas Castellanos especially. Really Line just... for 34 carries and a 245 yards, something like that, that's, three touchdowns? That's that's the math, baby. That is That'll the math. Do That'll do it. That'll play. Uh, do that 12 games a year. Real good stuff. Uh, SMU had a lot of trouble stopping Boston College. By the way, this was a... Uh, early ACC game by the way mm-hmm. starting conference mm-hmm. play a little early in bowl season in the Fenway Bowl so looking forward to seeing SMU what... will have a chance to avenge that loss next season so they will at home will. in Dallas so BC's gotta mm-hmm. leave the friendly confines of Chestnut Hill to go play in Dallas so I'm not sure when on the schedule that game is but I will guess it will be warmer at that game than it was in this one. I have no doubt. About <laughs> Pretty that. much any time during the fall in Dallas is probably going to be warmer than uh, the week after Christmas in Boston. So there's that. Yeah, it's. I'll tell you what. It'll be warmer than Boston with the exception of like three months out of the year. <laughs> That's probably fair. Yep. I've got nothing else in this game. No, I I truthfully didn't watch a ton of it. So, I was on the golf course. Boston College twenty three, SMU fourteen. I like um, how we slid that in there at the end. Nice. <laughs> just you know, just point that out. Next, uh, in in the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl, we go from I, uh, Red Sox games to Yankees games. Rutgers, I watched this one. I watched this one. Yep. I watched the tail end of it. It was uh, also a. This was a football game. Rutgers thirty one, Miami twenty four. Um. Uh, I mean, we're flashing, Miami. we're flashing the downward U. We're doing backflips after we do the kneel down at the end. Yo, this was Rutgers. Listen to this, Joey. Rutgers' first win in this series against Miami. They were previously 0 and 12 against Miami, dating back to the Big East days. Yikes. The last time that Rutgers played Miami was 2003. The Larry Coker led Miami Hurricanes. Rutgers lost that game. This is Rutgers' first win in the series in 13 tries. They made it count. There you go. Go Knights. Go. Um, <laughs> go, go Scarlet Knights. Go Big Ten. I, yeah, I don't even know what they what they would say. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. This was it was definitely it was kind of an odd finish. We'll say um, Rutgers scores a touchdown and then kicks a field goal late. Not the first time I've heard that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Tough but fair. Um, <laughs> Miami gets the ball back down two touchdowns with two and a half minutes to play. They proceed to go down and they score a touchdown. Twelve plays, seventy-five yards. Those twelve plays take two minutes and eight seconds because. There really wasn't like a ton of urgency here. It was like, okay, we're going to execute our two-minute drill, but we don't really want to try to win the game. Like, we don't want to extend this thing any longer than we have to. Let's just get the hell out of here. And uh, so they score with about 30 seconds left. Ensuing kickoff, onside kick recovered by Miami, and uh, then they don't really uh, get anything done in the ensuing four plays. And they turn it over on downs, and that was it. So it was, you know, in a, in a certain sense, it was another late game Mario Cristobal clock management clinic being put on here, Mike. That uh, he he sucks so bad at it. I don't. <laughs> there's just no other way to put it. He is just terrible at it. He I'm not sure lo- how much worse he could be stuff. if he tried. I th- yeah, I mean, he could do a lot of stuff well, and this is the thing that he doesn't do well, and he just doesn't do it well repeatedly, time after time after time. He's just really, yeah. really shitty at it. It's just, it's bad. I mean, I don't know. Full stop. Full stop. Terrible. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, whatever. I don't know. At this point, oh, Miami is now, what, 1-11 in their last 12 bowl games? Is that the number that I saw? Miami has a terrible record in bowl games lately, is all I'm saying. That's because they keep playing meaningless ones. Yeah, well... That's that's a different problem that they have, but I mean they I mean they go to they go to the one big bowl game that they've had in like the last fifteen years and they play Clemson and they get just eviscerated in that game. Uh that was the twenty eighteen that was the ACC title game, sorry. Mm. Where they yeah. uh and then they went to the Orange Bowl against Wisconsin, excuse me, and got blown out. Mm. That was yeah. That's where I was getting at. I was thinking of Clemson. I cross wires there. Uh, mm-hmm. They get blown out by Clemson in conference title game in 2018. Then they go and they play again, or 2017. Then they go and play in that Orange Bowl against Wisconsin. Looked okay for like half a quarter, and then just got stomped. Yeah. This is what they. This is what they do in bowl games, Joey. And it. They haven't been playing in a lot of like meaningful ones, like a lot of New Year's Six fodder for them. But yeah, there's just no excuse. I don't get it. Yep, yep. That's. I mean, you can set set your watch by it. They they are going to at least kind of no show bowl games. And I, I I thought this was this wasn't a full no show. As I mean, this is better than what we've seen in a couple of recent years from Miami and bowl games. So keep that in mind. Is that this is an improvement, and they still lost. So I don't know. Yeah, good stuff, Miami. Really good. Rutgers style. thirty-one, Miami twenty-four. They found the Miami found a quarterback. I think potentially Shakari Brown. Uh, I want to give him a little bit of credit. He was flashy at times, so that's yeah. something. We've seen him before. He's he's had moments of, of flash that you know. You, there's also an element of consistency that I don't know that we've seen from him. So that's, we'll see that's if that can totally be totally valid. But you know, he'll at least be more exciting than watching Tyler Van Dyke try to throw the ball twenty-five yards down the field. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, I do believe, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Miami is also very much in the market for a transfer quarterback. 
but has very much not gotten one yet. So we'll see how that situation continues to develop. But I mean, they did not get Cam Ward. Decided to go to the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cam Ward's going to the NFL. Uh, they did not get like Will Howard or I think there was another Will quarterback that just. Anyways, we'll let you know if Miami gets anybody at quarterback. Otherwise, yeah. it might just be <laughs> Jakari Brown. Whoever that Will guy is, he will not be going to Miami. <laughs> so who's the Will from uh, from Mississippi State? Who am I thinking of? Will, uh, oh my Will God, Howard is from Kansas State. My God, right? how is how am I blanking on? Uh, will you move on? <laughs> no, I will not. I will not move on. I need to. I need to remember this. Will Rogers? My Google. It. Will Rogers? There you go. Will Rogers. He went to USC. Is that didn't right? Even have to. Didn't even Joe have to Rogers' it. cousin. Shout out Joe, Joe Rogers. Ro- shout out Joe Rogers, baby. Not this yeah. is my favorite part of college football is figuring out where this year's players are playing next year. It's such a fun exercise. Yeah, it's up in there the Pop Tarts Bowl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the number twenty-five Kansas State Wildcats twenty-eight. The number eighteen NC State Wolfpack nineteen. Mike, I I have bad news for you. Um, I think NC State might be allergic to ten win seasons. Yeah, like, I think so too. Yeah, did you see Pete tweet that? That was oh, good. Is that, was, is that what it was? Like, yeah, yeah. Pete B. One of from, the uh, most. Virginia Tech Twitter. Put that out there. One of the most impossible stats that just continues to happen. NC State comes in at nine and three, and I, I think that were they favored or they were like a small underdog. I mean, it, it's not like this was like a yeah. uncompetitive matchup, and just yet again, I. I'm not criticizing. I'm I, I feel bad for any Wolfpack fans listening to this. Like I I don't know what like Curse of the Bambino stuff is in Raleigh, but it's like the number of times they've gone into bowl season a nine win team and then they lose the bowl game. It's like impossible. This is like statistically impossible, Mike. I don't know how this happens. Yeah, I mean I feel bad too. But <laughs> You it's, sound devastated. But <laughs> I, I am. I really am. <laughs> I mean, you could just... I, it's easy to believe by the look on my face and my voice. Uh, but isn't it also kind of funny, though? Like, it, it's also kind of funny, right? I haven't had an NC State fan mad at me in a while. It is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is... Look, this is a podcast. If you guys have been listening to this long enough by now, you know that like no team is off limits. Not our own alma maters. Not yeah. like no team is off limits. We make fun of everybody. We haven't made fun of NC State in a while. We've just been giving Dave Doran props for you know continually, continuously just like eluding the hot seat and just his teams are getting better. His last couple of years, I think maybe some of his best coaching jobs, all that stuff, right? But like this is kind of funny. Like Kansas State backup quarterback. His name was Avery Johnson not the basketball player and you let that guy you let that guy beat you completing 14 of his 31 passes for 178 yards and two touchdowns but you let him joey you let him run for 71 yards on seven carries you just decide you weren't going to tackle him on the seven times he decided to run this game nc state nc state offensively i wanted you know going into this game i was really really hopeful that like brendan armstrong last hurrah like got the starting job back as the other quarterback quit I was really hoping that he would kind of get his swan song that he deserved after everything that went wrong at NC State this year. And, man, he was just ass throwing the football here. Was not very good. Yeah, uh, better on great. the ground. B- 
better on the ground, but like anytime NC State went to throw, that was not going to be a winning proposition for him. So this is a uh, it's a rough look for NC State. It brings me no pleasure to report. Yeah, it wasn't a uh, wasn't a pretty couple of days for the triangle as uh, Mac Brown eludes the uh, the Mayo dump, and now Dave Dorn eludes the uh, crimes against humanity of eating a live mascot, I guess, that, that yeah. happened after this game. It did. And then everybody I'm guessing talked he did drink like his bourbon, days. Uh, Yeah. He, he's <laughs> should have come to, he should come to Virginia Tech tailgate at the military bowl. That's what he should have done. Yeah. He should have, uh, there, there you go. Coach this game hung over. They still would have lost. So may as well say, looking at that picture before. you guys sent. Holy. It's like, did y'all buy out like a whole liquor store of bourbon? Like, uh, good grief. We showed up, and most Communal of those were there contributions. Already. Everyone yep. collectively. Wow. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was impressive selection. Is all I'm saying. Dave Dave Dorn would have been proud. Yes. Yeah. There's <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Uh, we did need to talk about it at some point, and I, I think this happened after our last recording was signing day, right? Well, we we recorded with Jim on signing day. On signing we, day. Yep. We haven't just done like a news dump since then. Um, did you see the the thing about Mac Brown's press conference on signing day? Oh, you know, I forgot about this. Thank you. We thank you. We I don't need to dig this. into this right right now, but just for what it's worth and what we're talking about on signing day. And normally, this is just a day of celebrating all the recruits that you bring in, and and really, it's 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 a good thing and it's a good day for your program and like all this stuff. Mac Brown, for whatever reason, decides to bring up. I guess some trash that was talked by Dave Doran in the locker room after NC state beat North Carolina. And it was, it's everyone was very confused by this is like, why are we bringing attention to the fact you just lost to North to NC state again? Like, so anyways, we'll, we'll get to that at some point. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but that was something that I think has happened since the last time the three of us got together to record. And uh, that's, (laughs) yeah. Dave Doran, Dave Doran responded to it. He was real mad. Like, not he said, "I will not regret." He was like, "I regret some of the words I used. I do not regret being passionate about a big win." And he said he had respect for Mac Brown, which is you know cute because Mac Brown's old enough to be his father. And then the whole <laughs> other thing too about the fact that like Doran was also just after who I can't remember if it I, it was ESPN or ABC or. Whoever the TV crew was, it's all ESPN, ABC are all the same. Whoever the TV crew was at this game, he was like real mad because nobody told him that it was going to be a hot mic in the locker room. So that got leaked when he didn't want it to. And that's tough sliding. So now he's got to make this fake apology, pretending that he cares about what Mac Brown thinks, which is funny because I would just lean into it and told the old guy to suck it. Dave, like six weeks ago, you told Steve Smith who is is up there on the list of people I don't want to run into in a dark alley. You told Steve Smith. Hold on, hold on. We have it. We have the audio here. We can kiss my ass. We can kiss my ass. We can kiss my ass. On a loop. Yeah. No, he said it three times, actually, is what it was. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. (laughs) No, you told Steve Smith to kiss your ass. Yeah. You don't got to apologize to Mac Brown. No. Keep cutting promos, Dave. Do it. We love especially, this. Especially because Mac Brown does the thing like after games where he's like, I don't know if it's like a sign of respect, but it always comes off like 
egotistical when he like condescending somebody and like real condescending like i'm a guy who's won a national championship here come in you old whippersnapper it's okay you <laughs> lost this game you got a good team he like grabs him by the face he's like patting him on the side I'm like matt mm-hmm. bro buddy buddy your seven win soft ass candy ass program isn't scaring anybody dave doran i am surprised he responded in the way that he did i would have told mac take a hike that's what i would have done <laughs> who cares this is not a rivalry anyway on that note kansas state 28 nc state 19 um kansas state eats a uh, a pop tart that apparently wanted to die that was a, that was also a fun part of this broadcast was uh, exploring the mortality of pop tarts, which if you don't get it, then I, I can't explain it to you. I can't explain. What it to was you. the flavor? What ended up being blueberry? I think it was blueberry, right? I mean, in all seriousness, it looked like it was just like a like a cake or something like that, like a birthday cake or something that came out like. Oh, I agree. Instead with of you, cutting just... it into slices. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Moving don't on, know. NC State fans don't got to worry about it. So. That's that's for sure. They'll be doing something different. To the Gator Bowl, number 22, Clemson, 38, Kentucky, 35, in a game Fun that game. was really game. pretty messy for a while and then got just completely out over the skis in the fourth quarter, uh, got completely loose. It was 21-10, to 10, Kentucky, going into the fourth quarter, at which point – Clemson touchdown, Clemson field goal, Clemson touchdown, UK touchdown, Clemson field goal, Clemson or UK touchdown, Clemson touchdown. There were a boatload of points scored in the fourth quarter. Lead changes, uh, big plays, terrible defense, awful defense. I mean, it was this was like again kind of a, a messy, boring game of sorts through three quarters, and uh, then yeah, just everything just went to hell in a handbasket in the fourth quarter, and it turned into just brilliant peak college football television i thought the fourth quarter was awesome i'm sorry, i'm jumping in mike i went to do my laundry i came back f- 14 points have been scored i walked across <laughs> the apartment put the laundry in came back 14 points have been scored this game was awesome it was great it it was great it got amazing in the fourth quarter i uh i was running some errands uh when the second half was going on thought it was safe for me to to leave my house it was not. I had the game on the radio. Um, shout out Sirius XM, baby. Yeah, had the game on the radio. I was also running errands and just like watching your all's texts come through. Out of control. Like, what is happening in the Gator Bowl? Scott and I, Scott and I were texting and like I heard the score on the radio. I'm texting Scott at stoplights. I get back in front of the TV late in this game, which was real good. Um, we had an insane field goal in this game too. Uh, some some real good kicking stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. Special teams play. Defense was optional in the fourth quarter. Clemson survives. Uh, Dabo's all excited after the game because Clemson won nine games, which, you know, that's the new standard now. That's that's what they do. They just win nine games. That's right. And, uh, yep, they're going to roll into 24. Cade Klubnick again. What could possibly go wrong? Will Shipley headed to the NFL. So... Have fun uh, replacing that piece of your offense. Um, I guess just I I guess the. I mean Phil Maffa has played well, uh, the last like five or six games. You know, uh, 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see yeah. how big of a drop-off there is. I mean, I think you're losing the versatility piece, but as far as, like, pure running back is concerned, I think Mafa can still give you something next year. And we'll see what they yeah. got. I don't know. I'm still not, like, overall takeaway. Still not really sold that Klubnik is really the answer, but also at the same time, like, what's the alternative? And also, like, you're seeing the Clemson quarterbacks go elsewhere and perform well, like DJU going to Oregon State. He's He played well there. He's transferring to Florida State. We'll see how he is in that offense. I think that'll mm-hmm. probably go well. So you got to wonder how much of this is Klubnik, but, like, I'm not sure how much he's really developed in his first couple of years. Yeah. Yep. One more thing I do want to point out, and, and really just to help describe the, the level of excitement that was this fourth quarter. Mike, do you know how much time was left in this game when the final punt of the game happened? It's like without cheating? Yeah, without cheating. Just guess. Give me a guess. Sometime middle third quarter. There were six minutes and 31 seconds left. In the third quarter, at the last punt, after which we had touchdown, fumble, interception, interception, field goal, fumble, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, interception, end of game. Hell yeah. So, yeah. You know, why do drugs when you can just watch the fourth quarter of the, of the Gator Bowl? That's you know? what I always say, you know. I. <laughs> but that's what I always say. The, the Gator Bowl is my kind of drug. That's right. That's right. So, uh, congrats to Clemson. Finished the year, what? What would we say? Eight and, eight and five? Nine and four? Nine, nine and four. Nine and four. Nine and four. Nine and four. If it was eight and five, that would be much funnier. Love Clemson getting a bowl win to finish with nine. That's on pace for, uh, for Dabo's program. All right, Mike, and I think that's all the bowl games that we have. Oh, um, no. Oh, wait a minute. Else. Hold up. Wait a minute. Wait a yes? minute. Is there, is there one more? Lowercase G, Georgia. Did, was Bowling Green in a bowl game? Lowercase oh, G, sorry. Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. This is the cap- Capital One Orange Bowl. This Georgia. was a, uh, yeah. 60, 63, Florida State 3. Listen, I need to rant just, I'll, I'll make it super, super quick. I get Florida State got snubbed. I understand that Florida State played pretty much entirely second stringers. They quit. I don't care about the cute Mike Norvell, this cute little Mike Norvell locker room speech. Oh, we owed you better, and you represented our school well, and you got snubbed, and you got screwed, and, you know, hard work doesn't guarantee success. And Great speech, Mike Norvell. You lost the game by 60 points. Your team quit on you. And I understand it's a terrible situation to be in. Nobody wanted to play in this bowl game after the snub. Rightfully so. Justifiably so. Totally understand. Totally get it. And I think Mike, and, and this is like, I don't want this to seem like it's a Mike Norvell culture thing. Because I think Mike Norvell has built a fine culture at Florida State. I think he's built the program the right way. They've been patient. They've recruited. They've brought in the transfers where it made sense. Like, all that stuff. I think he's done a really, really nice job at Florida State. He's done it relatively quickly, even though 
people hate rebuilds. He's done it relatively quickly to get them where they're at to win 13 games this year in a conference title. Fantastic. But, like, the second stringers did not want to be there. They had no interest in playing Georgia's ones. A lot of mm-hmm. Georgia's ones played in this game. It showed. And this is more. This says more about Georgia's culture. I, I hate to do this to you, Joey. This is more about Georgia's culture, though, in terms of, like, getting this snub, not a snub from the college football playoff, right, because you lose the most important game of the year. But we did that whole four best, four most deserving dance, and we knew Georgia's one of the four best teams in the country. So it was obviously just a ploy to get Florida State out of the playoff. We know that. I'm they not, did it. I'm not denying that. Right. Yeah, like, nor have you. Nor have you. Nor have you. No, yeah. I'm just saying this is a testament to the culture that Kirby Smart's built where he had a lot of his starters play in this game. Like, a lot of them just said, you know what, we're going to play in this bowl game and finish the season the right way. And they did, and they won the game by 60 points. Florida mm-hmm. State's kids all quit. And I don't think it's a Norvell culture thing, but I th- mm-hmm. what I'm saying is there is a gap between the Georgias of the world, you know, Saban's Alabama teams. There's a gap between, and, and you see what Michigan's building with what they've built with Harbaugh. There's a gap between, like, those handful of teams and teams like Florida State still, teams like mm-hmm. Clemson, right, because Clemson's fallen back. There's, like, a defined difference in culture within the program that we're not seeing at Florida State right now. I don't think they're all the way there where, like, they have the depth and they have the buy-in and they care about being there. It almost felt like they were protesting this game in a way. Like, yeah, you, you get snubbed and, oh, like, did. you run the, t- run the twos out there and they're just like, yeah, you know what? Like, we don't even really want to be here and we just – we're going to like do this to prove a point whereas i mean there were there were crazy numbers of like florida state was out of like had like 17 starters insane that opted out transferred insane. whatever insane. uh that they had like it was like something like 25 players you know that that were sitting out in total like it was insane and and i mean on on some level i i get it i understand that there's disappointment here I mean, and one of the things that I heard today that I I think is almost kind of insane, but I was listening to an episode of Cover 3, and Bud Elliott, big Florida State guy, was talking about how if if Florida if this weren't the Orange Bowl, specifically the Orange Bowl, that Florida State has alumni that are, like, on the committee that are invested in seeing Florida State on that field for the Orange Bowl game. He's like, if they had been selected to, like, the Fiesta or to the, the Cotton Bowl or whatever – he legitimately believes that Florida State would have opted out of the game entirely. Would have said, "We declined the offer. We're just we're done with the season. We're going home." Would have been amazing. Would have been so. I understand. I understand the frustration of not making the playoff. But man, is th- there is a certain just like extra level of arrogance of like, we just don't need this whatsoever. Oh, like, and you're seeing and you're seeing it with a lawsuit with the ACC too. I, we don't need to go into all that tonight, but like. It's a level of arrogance from the fan base where it's like entitlement. I mean, we we are better than you and we don't need the ACC. And then I just quickly like looked at the stats and realized that Florida State has lost. Like I got to go back and look at my tweet, but it was like they've lost like 35 or 40 games since they won their national title 
11 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not like they've been this dominant program. Like they've been some ass in the ACC and you're expecting that to change now that you have a little bit more money and go to the SEC. You're going to be a doormat there too. Like I mean at full I, strength they missed bowl games how many years in a row? Like yeah, so you want – be careful what you wish for, Florida State. I understand the revenue complaints. We've talked about that extensively. But, like, be careful what you wish for, man. Like, you go out and you want to you want to pay that buyout and break the grant of rights and all this stuff, and you want to find a way out of the ACC, more power to you. But, like, at some point, like, you got to pay the piper. And I think they're going to mm-hmm. get to whatever conference they end up in, and for their sake – I think they better hope it's the Big Ten, not the SEC. Because I think if yeah. they get to the SEC, man, the teams are going to have to recruit against. Like they're going to be, they're already up against some battles, like in in the recruiting ground they're in against these SEC schools. And I don't think they are going to be able to compete long term in the way that their fans think they're going to. And yeah. that's going to be a take that I think a lot of people disagree with. But dude, I've I've just seen a lot of Florida State football in the last like twenty five years like the really really good programs that they've had and the ones that have been like relatively mediocre there's a lot more mediocre teams and really really like elite high level teams considering the caliber of guy they recruit like Mm -hmm. they should be performing a lot better than they have been over the last 25 years the caliber of player they've been recruiting so now you're just going to recruit the same guy you're going to have a little bit more money recruit the same guy have a top five recruiting class and and then what you're going to lose like three sec games i i don't know man I, I don't get it. I, yeah. I my, the air the understanding thing drives me crazy. My understanding for a while has been that for for programs that you might start to consider in that elite echelon of college football, mm-hmm. Florida State is on the low end of how much money they have backing them. And I'm not talking about like TV revenue. I'm talking about Florida State is not that old of a school. They don't have that many alumni. There, there is not that much quote-unquote old money backing Florida State. I mean, most of the SEC has been playing football for over 100 years now. Florida State has not. Florida State was a women's college, like, if I'm not mistaken, well past World War II. Like, this is, you know, this is a relatively young school and program, and, and just the depth of money supporting them is not what you're going to find in the SEC, um, or even in the, in the Big Ten in a lot of cases. So... Yeah, careful what you wish for. We'll we'll get into that. We've got plenty of all season to talk about things I don't want to talk about. But yep. um, anyways, in this game, I, I I want to point out, number one, by the way, um, if if the only thing that you involve yourself with in this podcast is the audio and video recordings, um, I should note that I did pick Florida State to cover the spread on the original recording. Dumb. So it was dumb at the time. I- uh was okay but then you know you start finding out things like florida state is encouraging players to go ahead and just get surgeries that they need and uh i think really what really tipped it was tate rotomaker uh decides not to he's like practicing with the team and then decides not to travel with the with the team for the game and he's just going to enter the transfer portal that's when we uh, we backed off the pick and there was a uh, there was an official post on twitter that was mandated by the uh, the other two members of this podcast so uh, those dues were paid, and I flipped my pick, and I ended up getting it right. So, there's that. But quality uh, notes yeah, app. Was, quality. Yeah, quality notes I, app. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it went okay, and it, it got some pretty good response on Twitter. So, yeah, which is all you can hope for. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. This game was not 
competitive whatsoever. And then by the time it was starting, and again, around the time that I was tweeting, I, I tweeted that out about 24 hours before the game started. I, I had no expectation that it was going to be a competitive game. And uh, sure enough, it wasn't. It, it hey, got who's, who's, got, who tried harder, Florida State or Syracuse? Syracuse. I think Syracuse, yeah. I think Syracuse. And they weren't – and yeah. And the end of that Syracuse game was woof. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was this was the nightmare scenario of nightmare scenarios. If, so bad. If you had any investment in Florida State winning this game, like if I, – I, again, just even if you're just a fan and you just want them to win this game – you're basically running out a bunch of second and third stringers at a program that we've said all year is not, it seems like it lacks the depth that some of these true national title contenders have. And I think that was the main, main piece of my argument that like, I think they can make the playoff. I don't think they can win it as I felt like it was a depth thing. And they, I think they maybe had a little bit of luck staying relatively healthy to where they didn't really have their depth tested for the most part all year with the obvious one major exception being your quarterback goes down. But aside from that, you get a bunch of super depth players against the back-to-back national champions, more or less at full strength uh, and clearly playing kind of pissed off and trying to prove a point. I mean, this was a a perfect storm to end in a uh, horrendous fashion for Florida state. So uh, Georgia 63, Florida State 3. I I did want to talk about, Mike, in a little bit. This really felt like a little bit of a tipping point year, and, and probably not a moment too soon with the expanded playoff coming next year. Like, there's going to have to be some changes to the bowl season – or to the bowl uh, construct or the bowl system, I guess, as you call it. Yep. Um, and, and this was really one of the first years that I remember there being kind of a, a – overwhelming tone across a lot of the national media and such of like this kind of sucks like from a just a pure football standpoint of like all of the guys that are opting out and transferring and and everything it it wasn't like this 10 years ago and you start wondering like what can we do to fix this um you know i i sent you something you know one of my first main ideas here is well the, the issue is it's, it's going to cost players money. If they play the bowl game, they get hurt, and then they're going to cost right. themselves money either in the NFL draft or even from an NIL standpoint. You know, if they're trying to transfer and they're trying to get paid, and I say NIL, they're trying to get paid for play. That's fine. Um, so my first suggestion was, why not put a purse on these games? We're starting to pay the players anyways. Like, hey, winning team, every player gets $10,000. Losing team, every player gets $5,000. Offensive player of the game, twenty five grand. Defensive player of the game, twenty five grand. And MVP, fifty grand or whatever. Like you can do some of that sort of thing. Um, I, th- I think that would entice players to play the game, and it's quick, easy cash. It's during the holiday season. It would be you know valuable because it's gotten out of control now. Where like guys who don't really have a prayer of getting like getting drafted just decide they don't want to play in the bowl game. They're like, oh, I'm opting out to get ready for the draft. I'm like, what, to be an undrafted free agent and sign for $15,000? What? Yeah, you're going to be a sixth-round pick and might get cut by the end of camp or whatever? Yeah, like, it's right. So, I mean, I, I think you'll still be missing 
the thing the thing that I think the twelve team playoff fixes right is that a majority of those like day one draft picks. I know you'll have some one offs at like group of five schools every now and then. You get like one really good prospect that just eludes the big schools. But for the most part, like the the day one draft picks, like the first round picks, the guys who are like real high on the board or even like mid to late first round, a lot of them are going to be playing for college football playoff teams. So mm-hmm. especially in the expanded playoff. And when people say, like, oh, are, are players going to opt out of the 12 team? I'm like, you know, maybe if they don't think they have a chance of winning the national championship, because really there's only a handful of teams that do, like, all the time, you know, maybe that's a possibility. But I think with your proposition there, it would entice some guys to stick around for the bowl game, make a little bit of money. It's also enticing for a bunch of the guys who aren't playing the bowl game, right, who are usually like second or third stringers, um, if they get an opportunity to play, to play a little bit harder. Uh, yeah, man, I think there's a lot of benefits to it. you got to fix what's broke. I mean, right now it's a mess. So it's mm-hmm. a broken system. you got to fix it somehow. Some people say, yeah, too many bowl games, whatever. I don't really care, like, what side of the coin you fall on that. I just think there's a there's a problem with the people – playing in the bowls like period whether it's a big bowl small bowl whatever this all started when christian mccaffrey opted out of a, of a uh, new year six game this is when this all started and then it only got worse with nil less than 10 years ago it's it's been really like a five or six year problem where it's like mm-hmm. gotten progressively worse so yeah yep christian McCaffrey yeah just something to right think choice. about say that yeah, say it again scott I think Christian McCaffrey, in his sense, made the right choice. He was a top 10 pick. It's kids that are like second and third rounders that bothers me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, this this kind of thing that I'm I'm talking about doesn't make Caleb Williams play in the Holiday Bowl. It doesn't make – it probably doesn't make Peyton Wilson play in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Or, you know, like, some of these guys that are – Keon Coleman, he isn't going to play in the Orange Bowl for for 10 grand, you know, or even 5 grand or less, you know. it's, but it is, you know, can we get most of these guys to play in a bowl game for some quick cash? Yeah, probably. Because, yeah, I mean, there, there's only, what, 100 players or something taking the first three rounds of the draft, and the money kind of drops off. The, the guaranteed money especially starts to drop off pretty quickly. Um, you know, you're, you're not guaranteed a lot. So, I mean, I can think back to, what was it, Jalen Smith, Notre Dame, and the Fiesta Bowl. Um that was one example. I think there's been maybe one other major example of like a projected top 10 pick who gets hurt in the bowl game and totally uh, – there, there was a tight end for Michigan. Uh, it was in the Orange Bowl against Florida State uh, years ago. I think when Jimbo was still at Florida State, gets hurt in the bowl game, really disrupts Jake, what would have been Jake like a – Jake Butt? I think it might have been Jake, Jake Butt. Jake Butt? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Butt. Butt. Um, Butt. Hurt in the orange, hurt in the Orange Bowl, uh, kind of derailed the career from a, a certain standpoint. There, so there's a couple of these that we can point at, but really for the most part, I mean, you've already played 12, 13 games over the year. Like you can you can play one more, and uh, you're not really running that much more risk. So I don't know, just a thought. It's I mean it's there's, something. It's better than what we have now. Yeah, and each game, you know, you can adjust the purse up down. You know, player the uh, the amount per player or 
the number of players per team that are getting that payout, you know, whatever, like what I texted you all with numbers was, you know, if you estimate a hundred players per team, which is all 85 scholarships plus a handful of walk-ons conservative estimate, the numbers I threw out, I mean, you're talking about, I think still less than a $2 million investment per bowl game to have everyone playing and invested and trying like, yeah. What these bowl games do. I mean, that's, that's not a lot of money. For them to come up with so no but you know corporate greed's involved so of course welcome to america um yeah i don't know that's all i had i transfer portal i'm i'm good i mean dju going to florida state's a big deal we can get into that later i i just yeah that's that's a uh that's a nice bridge quarterback i think he'll be good there he might be the starter there. <laughs> might not be. I, I don't know. I think he'll, think he'll probably be the starter. But yes. Yeah. Uh, I think there might have been one more. I forget what it was. So we'll hit, hit it next time, I guess. That sounds good to me. Yeah, that works. Uh, Tate Rotomaker entered the transfer portal. We mentioned that earlier. So he's gone from Florida State for what that's worth. Something other than sports. Yep. Not quite possible. Uh, all right. Mike, anything else before we get out of here? Scott? Uh, Christian McCaffrey opted out of the Sun Bowl, so I think he gets a pass. Who cares yeah. about El Paso? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, Oregon State certainly didn't. <laughs> nope. I've been to El Paso a couple times. Um, my best man at my wedding actually – went to high school in El Paso. So went out there to visit him a couple times and, you know, I hear about the Sun Bowl and they talk about how much fun it is. And I'm like, what part of El Paso were you in? Um, it's, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't understand yeah. what makes that game so fun. So, Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. If, if you've, uh, if you've got ideas, I, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Nailed it. We'll get some, uh, we'll get some responses to that one. That's right. That's right. Uh, Mike, should we work on getting out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, keep it tuned here. We've got uh, team recaps coming your way. We've got other things coming your way as, you know, transfer portal season wraps up. we got maybe a couple more coaching staff hires, all sorts of news. We'll keep going through the offseason. It'll probably be a little less frequent than it has been uh, through, the, through the season if you're new here. But keep it tuned here. We'll try to get, you know, get you a new episode once every uh, once every couple of weeks probably through the offseason and we'll keep you updated as things continue to develop for the ACC. We got a growing conference. We got to welcome three more teams into the mix next year. So, uh we will keep you updated as uh, all sorts of news breaks through the offseason. So, keep it tuned here. Uh in the meantime, we're on Twitter at FTRS Joey at Mike McDaniel SI together at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email to the previously mentioned email address basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. This is a good time of the year to uh, get involved with you know, questions and that kind of thing, helping us to shape the content that we record for you. So send it all there. Uh, we are on iTunes on or Apple Music or whatever. We're on Amazon Music. We're on Spotify, all those good places. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Uh, leave a rating, a review. We'd appreciate that. Uh, Mike, where else are we in the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. YouTube.com slash at the ACC Football Podcast. 
Hell yeah. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the bell icon. Smash that like. Whatever else the kids say. Oh, yeah. Oh, Mike, you yeah. want to come back and... Uh, Kool-Aid man. <laughs> you want to come back and start recapping some teams? Yep. Before I turn into the Kool-Aid man and go totally insane at 1230 Let's at night. Let's do it. So, good. <laughs> All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Mr. Producer Scott, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again very, very soon. Thanks for a great season. Until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.